Corsha Wilson knows the restaurant industry inside and out. She's been working in restaurants since before it was legal for her to work in restaurants. Yeah, so uh, my first job in the restaurant industry was being a breadstick girl at Olive Garden uh, in Waldorf, Maryland. I, <laughs> I was 16, and the rules were for Darden Restaurant Group, which owns like Red Lobster and Olive Garden and all that. Uh, you had to be 18 years old to work in the kitchen, but I begged and begged my manager because I really wanted to work in a, a kitchen. Since her breadstick days, Korsha has gone to culinary school and then worked as a breakfast cook, a hostess, a server, and a restaurant manager. These days, Korsha, who is African-American, now works mostly as a food writer. She runs the website A Hungry Society, which examines diverse aspects of food media and the restaurant world. It was always my goal to be a food writer. Um, I read a Savoir when I was 10 or 11 years old, and I remember telling my mom, like, this is what I want to do. And she was like, okay, I don't know any food writers or what that means, but we'll figure it out. So I decided I wanted to go to culinary school and then journalism school so I would know what I was talking about. <laughs> you, you write a lot about the racial dynamics of the food industry. So I'm curious about what racial patterns did you see in your own experience working restaurants? Like in, in the jobs that you had, were white people more likely to hold certain jobs than people of color? Like break that down for people who have never worked in a restaurant before. Oh, definitely. Um, it, especially in a city like Boston, the, the racial lines were very, very clear. So part of help, one of the things that helped me realize how like clear those racial dynamics were was when I was applying for a front of the house job, a lot of restaurants wouldn't hire me. I had just recently like shaved my head because uh, I was going natural and a lot of restaurants wouldn't hire me because I didn't fit the mold of, you know, young blonde woman working at the host stand. Um, even though I had a culinary degree, <laughs> I had like, I was super overqualified. A lot of managers were just like, it, you, you, know, you don't have the right look. So is that how managers would say it? You don't have the right look or would they be more explicit about it in some way? It would be more coded language. You, you're not what we're looking for. <laughs> uh, but a fine dining restaurant in Boston, a manager was like, you absolutely know what you're talking about. Like they serve super high end French food. And so they wanted me at the host stand, but a lot of restaurants did not. And so what did did you notice any other racial dynamics in your experience there that like patterns that people who haven't worked in restaurants might not know are happening behind the scenes? Yeah, so people of color are kind of kept behind the scenes. It I, I've said in one of my pieces like the restaurant industry is like minorities are the backbone of that industry, but you rarely see people of color in the top tier positions. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that no, nobody wants to talk about. Um, like when it comes to sommeliers and service captains and chefs and owners and even bartenders, like who's the head of the bar, it's oftentimes white people, but people of color are in support roles. Um, and I think it's a clear dynamic that you see even more in fine dining. It's 
it's not people of color in the top tier positions. Mm-hmm. What, what about gender dynamics on the job? How did working in kitchens make you think uh, about gender or reflect on gender in our society? Gender was, it was always kind of, like even at culinary school, it was very apparent that gender played a big role in who got to do what. Um, one of the most like egregious cases that I can remember from culinary school was someone saying, uh, in a class, uh, a male chef saying, girls only go to culinary schools so that they can cook for their husbands. Ouch. And, Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was pissed. And, but a bunch of other dudes just laughed it off. And that was that. Um, but even in culinary school, there were maybe on the like savory side of things, because you could do like, you know, pastry degree or a culinary arts degree. Um, on the savory side of things, there were maybe four or five of us as opposed to like 20 dudes. Um, it was it was clear then that women weren't expected to work in this field. How do you think that experience um, shaped your career path? Did feeling like an outsider or feeling like people were trying to actively exclude you from these positions make you more determined to try and go after them? Or did it just make you feel like, I'm not welcome here. What's the point? I don't want to do this if people aren't going to accept me. Hmm. I think when I worked in front of the house, it was way easier for me to like promote not promote my differences, but just like be more aware of them and almost use them to my advantage. Like there were, there were a few cases of very, very <laughs> overtly racist things happening at the host stand, but because of my like knowledge and my background, I was able to you know, put someone in their place essentially. Whereas in the kitchen, it's like, no, you are an intern, you're a line cook, like you don't, you don't talk back, you don't do any of that. But in the front of the house, I found that there was a way for me to be confident and, and showcase my knowledge and ability and tell people respectfully, you're not going to treat me like that. You're not going to treat me like I don't know what's going on. Can you give me an example of one of those times? I imagine like really, I don't know, snobby, rich, white customers I don't know, talking bad about your wine knowledge or something. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the worst ones, and I laugh at it now, but in the moment I was like horrified. I was standing at the host stand on like a Saturday night and this guy comes up and he's like Ethiopia, Kenya, uh, Madagascar, just listing African countries. And I was like, excuse me? And he eventually stops and he's like, oh, I just, you, you don't look American. I thought you were from somewhere in Africa. Pause. <laughs> like, what the hell? He, exactly. I was just like, do you have a reservation? Like, what? are you eating dinner here? Did you just come in to like, guess what country I'm from? Um, but I said to him very calmly, I grew up in Maryland. Do you have a reservation? And that was it. Like, he quickly realized, like, oh, I, I should not have done that. <laughs> like, that was a terrible thing to do to someone. Um, and it's just little small things like that that speak to, like, a bigger thing in fine dining of, oh, well, you're out of place here. Let me try and place you, like, in my head. Like, where are you from? What's your story? Instead of you're a person. 
You're using the reel for either um, an article called Dear White Chefs, Stop Talking, Start Listening. And then the subhead is when people of color mm-hmm. say we're kept in the margins, don't write us off. Can, can you talk about the trends you've seen in food media around race and gender that you're trying to address in this article? Like, why should big name white chefs stop doing as much talking, start doing as much listening? Yeah, so that article stemmed from um, another article in the New York Times about Chef Thomas Keller and where he's at in his career right now after that, you know, brutal per se review and how he's planning for the future. And in it, there's like this clip of a chef Preeti Mystery in California. And she's talking about how she used to idolize him. And when she met him, she was starstruck. But now she's realizing that there's a lot of issues in fine dining. And oftentimes the fine dining world takes from people of color, but doesn't give back. And Chef Keller's response is completely dismissive, just like, oh, I used to think like that, but then I grew up, which is so ridiculous. (laughs) And I was so enraged by that but I let it go. And then I saw an Instagram post by this other chef in California, another powerful white male chef being like food media has this, this vendetta against chef Keller trying to take him down. The restaurant industry is diverse. Chef Mistry needs to be quiet, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I, it, it sent me into a rage, like how dare you on one hand say people of color are, a massive part of this industry and respected, but then tell a woman of color to be quiet. Um, So that's where the article came from. And I honestly think that the fact that food media is talking about these issues of race and, and people of color in restaurants and diverse foods is a great, great thing. For a long time, like people of color weren't as respected, weren't as able to like participate in these conversations, and now they are, and that's a beautiful thing. But there's still this pushback from white male chefs of, why are you trying to disrupt this thing that we already have? Um, and we're saying, what you have, what's been happening has been incredibly exclusive, and we want our seat at the table as well. What, what do you feel like you're trying to do with your food writing? Like, how is the writing that you're doing different than a lot of mainstream food writing. Um, Do you try to talk more about race or talk more about these kinds of issues that other people are brushing under the the rug? Or do you see it as like your food writing should be the most mainstream food writing? Like more people should be talking about these kinds of things. Ooh, so that is something that I just, I struggle with constantly as a food writer. Um, I think when I first started writing, I tried to do the bro-y white, male perspective, you know, like bacon and beer, this is like spicy, you should eat it. Like, you know, I tried to do that as well, just because I, that's what I saw. And I tried to like replicate that. And that just wasn't true to who I am. Like I, I get excited when I walk into a small restaurant and I see a a family or a a server or a, a chef that is maybe under the radar and is so, so, so passionate about what they do. Um, For me, as I've worked in the food media world and noticed like how things are done and, you know, who gets press and who doesn't and who has like massive PR budgets and who doesn't, um, I've become more and more obsessed with talking about things that aren't being talked about. 
or like the the smaller restaurants, the mostly immigrant run restaurants and what they mean and what they add to the restaurant landscape. Um, but I do think that food writers of color also need the opportunity to talk about things that aren't related to their race because we don't ask white food writers to to only write about their backgrounds. Like it has to be an equal playing field for everyone. Uh, I, I tell people this, like you can't write about food and not write about the people who have made it or the history behind the dish or you, you can't like strip people from food. It, it's impossible. Um, and I think that's where people run into trouble is when they try to write about, you know, tacos or, or pho and just strip it of the people that and the history that made it what it is.